You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. Alrighty, everybody. Welcome back. Hello, Hamish. How's things? Hello. Things are Hello. good. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah, things Hello. are going well. We're on... Uh, Audio only uh, for this week, unfortunately. We're, yes, we're, we are. We're back off off video, but uh, I could uh, I could put my video on, but it's very boring. I'm just sitting in a hotel room because da, 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 I'm in Melbourne because uh, I mean I'm in Melbourne because I'm working. Yes, but purely no, not really business. <laughs> It's for the podcast. It's the Formula One. It's the Formula One, Hamish. The Grand Prix. The Australian Grand Prix is back, baby. How Let's exciting. Go. How exciting. Oh, I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. I mean, I'm not even going, but uh, you are, and I'm looking forward to just watching it. I, I haven't seen... Yeah. I, well, I wasn't following the Formula One uh, before it has been in Australia. So, like, it was cancelled, what, in 2020, mm. of course. It was cancelled last minute. Um, yep. people, that was crazy. People were at the gate and then they decided to yeah. cancel it because people, cases were popping up, I think in the staff and, and that sort of thing, just yeah. as it was starting. And then last year they just didn't have it at all in Australia, right? It was never planned yeah. or anything, or maybe they were going to have it late, but then they canceled it or something like that. Yeah. That's what happened. Yep. Um, so yeah, so this is the first time I've actually been watching the formula one since there's been an Australian Grand Prix. So I'm, um, I'm really excited. Um, mm. it's going to be interesting for for once. I don't have to it's wake just- up at, uh, at 3 or 4am <laughs> to watch it. <laughs> like Abu yeah. Dhabi or something. <laughs> yeah. The schedule is not nice. No. For Australians in particular. I mean, the, the way I describe Formula One, it's like an, a rolling circus and it just rolls <laughs> from, you know, country to country. But they still try and plan it. And obviously, they try and plan it so that the broadcast times hit the most number of viewers. Yeah. So, it's either- And, and it's usually European viewers yeah. because- uh, you know, most, you know, Formula One is very much kind of a European sport. And until recently, it hasn't had much of a US following. That's obviously changing now. So, yeah. they try and like line it up so that it's a, at a good time for either Europe or the US. And that does not work <laughs> no. for Australia at all. So, yeah, a lot of the Grand Prix are on at like one or two in the morning, which is kind of sad because it kind of means that a lot of Australians have just never kind of gotten into Formula One. But, uh, I mean, it's cool. It's fun. And obviously- now with Drive to Survive, the Netflix series, it's just popularity is just at a at an all time high. Might need to look into what's it, Liberty Global Series C, Formula <laughs> One Series C. Yeah, I've never <laughs> I've never actually looked into that company before. I kind of uh, want to now. Yeah, it would be interesting to kind of see if they break down maybe in some detail uh, how the Formula One kind of functions on a business basis. Um, mm. That would be interesting to kind of to dive into, but. Yeah, very exciting. So, what's on? So, w- w- what days are you in there from from Thursday Mate, to Sunday? Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I'm, go- I'm going with my dad and I'm actually going with Jason. Um, Jason, hmm. you guys will know him because he's been on the podcast before. Um, he's one of my, well, one of our friends from uh, Sydney. Um, but he's big into Formula One as well. He he was, we did a podcast with him and he, he kind of explained 
the whole central bank system, yeah. uh, kind of what is money, uh, how the Fed prints money and that sort of thing, which, you know, he understands it so, so well that a lot of the stuff he was talking about is like straight over my head. But Yeah, he, he's smarter than both of us combined yeah, times he's six. A, he's a big brain, isn't he? <laughs> he is a big brain. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so he, so he's coming down here as well. Uh, he's just gone. Uh, he's just. Oh, I'm actually staying with him. He's just gone out to the city. So otherwise, I would have brought him on the podcast. He could have subbed in for me. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, what, what have we got? Anyway, still still a lot to talk about today. Yeah. What if we? What, what, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. Tesla, Elon Musk. Oh my gosh. I mean, <laughs> yes, I like to talk about the guy, but. This week, it's just Elon City, and uh, I'm sure you guys already know why regarding all that Twitter stuff, but then we've also got a couple of things from the Federal Reserve. We've got um, Uber, some news out of Uber, which I thought was actually quite interesting, so I might take us through that, Mm -hmm. and uh, if we've got time, we'll go through some Q&A, and I've got one other little secret story, which I can get to if we've got time. Beautiful. All right. Well, today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So you can bring in all of your trades either automatically uh, or you can do it manually using Excel or one by one. And once you do, it will track all of the different types of gains and losses in your portfolio. So capital gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do those calculations for you on ETFs or individual stocks. Uh, Currency gains, if you're buying shares internationally or hold foreign currencies, that's one that a lot of people miss. They don't track current especially if you're, say, Australian buying US shares or just have US dollars, it can make a big impact, especially as interest rates change and that sort of thing at the moment. Tracking that is easy with ShareSite. And then you can also use it for when it comes to tax time. So ShareSite generates up to 12 different reports that can be used to track the performance of your portfolio uh, and used at tax time to work out some key things such as capital gains, dividend income, and more. At the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spelled S-I-G-H-T, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. Use that link, sign up to a free plan, track up to 10 holdings for as long as you want, or you can use that link to sign up to a pay plan for more features and get four months off a yearly subscription. So go check it out if you're interested. And thanks to everyone who's used that link and is supporting the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, now hit us with, let's uh, get in. Yeah, hit us with some. Sorry, hit us with some Tesla okay. deliveries and production because I'm, I'm, I've been excited for this. We spoke about this what a couple of weeks ago. I think we. Yeah, I mentioned it briefly because um, we we're talking about the Berlin factory. Just that's opening. right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Mm. Um, so. I'll talk about this. This is kind of quick stuff and we'll just get it out of the way because there's some much bigger news to talk about, which we'll lead into in a, in a little second. Um, but first things first, so Tesla did announce it's the end of the quarter. So they did just come out and announce their production delivery numbers, which obviously a lot of people um, a lot of people like to watch as it's a pretty good indicator of how much money they're going to make. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this quarter, technically, Tesla had a record production and deliveries. So they delivered 310,000 vehicles and they produced uh, 305,000 vehicles. Mm. And I say technically it's a record because it was basically the same as last quarter. <laughs> um, <laughs> so last quarter, they delivered 308,000. 8,000 vehicles as opposed to 310, and they delivered 305,840 as opposed to this quarter's 305,407. So, I guess uh, last quarter they actually beat, uh, sorry, they did beat production last quarter, but uh, deliveries they still beat this quarter. Oh, um, my anyway. God. They've stalled. They're done. Oh, they're, they're it's, finished. This, 
that, that, that's probably the that, that's our that's our um, the uh, finance. Hey, media you should goes. go on CNBC. Yeah, exactly. My yeah, turning it to CNBC or Wall Street Journal. They're done. <laughs> Growth slowed to zero percent. Yeah, you you'd be like that guy. What's his name? Gordon Johnson. Where he's like his his line that he says every quarter is like, you know, we 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 just see Tesla. It's it's a busted growth story. That's all it is. It's a busted growth story. He just says that on repeat. I'm like, man, he, but he's just like so deep in the negativity. Yeah. He's like so deep in probably in his short position too that he just he just can't back out. He's now. so lost. He's just yeah. got to commit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's going down that road regardless yeah, of what happens. Can't turn that exactly. ship around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, well, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. So they. Yeah. Okay. So very similar amount to to the previous quarter. Which uh, yeah. look, they can't they can't and- just continue to grow every single quarter. And and look, there's no shortage of problems going on i guess at the moment exactly that's and that's what i wanted to just quickly talk about because this quarter actually does make sense it makes sense because tesla say they're limited by this chip shortage um we know that fremont we know that shanghai their two big current factories are just pumping at the moment producing as many cars as they can and we also know that berlin and austin gigafactory have not yet ramped up exciting news is that actually today probably uh, actually, no, sorry, tomorrow for us right now, um, the Austin Gigafactory will be officially opened and the wow. first customer deliveries will happen. We had that story for Berlin a couple of weeks back, as you were talking about before, Hamish. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's it's it, they haven't, those factories obviously haven't ramped up. So yep. I think that this is this result is to be expected, particularly because they also have the problem of the chip shortage. And I d- did want to go into just to highlight to everyone that this maybe you would might have heard this on CNBC or something but this definitely this result does not mean that the demand for Teslas is around 300,000 per quarter going forward mm. um that would be a very very big mistake to make because in fact if you dig into it they uh Tesla have just sold out of US Model Y production capacity for the whole of 2022 wow. <laughs> yeah so they they're like so, pre-orders is that is that what that means yeah, it's, it's a pre-order essentially now. And if you look on their website, like if you want to buy a Model X or a Model S or, a, you know, for most people in North America, you're going to have to wait like nine to 12 months yeah, to get your car. Right. Um, so they really are limited by either chip shortages or production limitations. And I would imagine that as as firstly, the chip shortage becomes less and less of an issue, um, and also these factory new factories ramp up, you will see quite a substantial jump in the quarterly delivery numbers. So, interesting. Um, and I also wanted to put things in perspective, right? So we're talking about this chip shortage and like how's Tesla faring? Well, if we actually look to some of the other automakers and we look at year over year delivery numbers, then Toyota, for example, um, they in the most recent quarter delivered 510,000 cars, which is a growth of 15% year over year. Mm-hmm. Then GM, 485,000 cars, 24% growth. Uh, Ford, 431,000 cars, 17% growth. Mm. Honda, 252,000, 27% growth. So you can see that while Tesla isn't the biggest automaker, like Toyota's making 500,000 cars a quarter, Mm. um, in terms of growth, Tesla's year-over-year growth was 68%. Yeah. 
Right. So we're seeing 15%, 24%, 17%, 27%. Okay, that's all interesting. And sure, Tesla's only making 310,000 cars per quarter, but their year-over-year growth is 68%. Yeah, and so, it seems like they're limited by capacity at this point. It would be really interesting. I don't know if Tesla do, does this, but it would be really interesting for them to release kind of approximate um, kind of uh, capacity for their existing um, for their existing factories and and what that capacity can potentially go to once Berlin ramps up and Austin ramps up, um, that'd yeah. be interesting to see. And I, I guess they probably give some approximates for that, but um, they do. That would be interesting to kind of have a look at where they're sitting because yeah, you're right. I mean, they ca- they're quickly catching up on some of these big uh, automakers, and uh, it, yeah, it seems to a big part. It's just limited by their ability to to scale rather than than demand. Although to be fair, that's some big growth from some of the other automakers as well. So clearly it's there's been just a significant industry um, growth, I guess, tailwind there yeah. as well. Mm. I'm just trying to just quickly open up while you're talking the most recent uh, uh, announcement that they made, their most recent shareholder deck. Mm. Okay, so- um. Uh, okay, so they've released a graph which says installed current capacity, mm-hmm. but I'm just looking if they've got estimated future capacity, but no, I don't think so. Yeah, no, my bad. Oh, my gosh, the photos make this PDF so laggy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess it, it's an interesting industry because it's obviously very cyclical. So, Tesla's clearly benefiting from- um, a significant amount of demand for their products, but it is still a cyclical industry. So they've kind of got to balance uh, whether they're seeing whether they're seeing a sustained level of demand. So they need to build these new factories, which I think they do at the moment, with yeah. not opening too many factories, and then when the tide <laughs> turns, having all of these expensive all of these expenses that are difficult mm. to to reduce. That's a very difficult problem that automakers have faced for over a century um, and it's yeah. why most of them go out of business is because there's a there's a run-up in demand for 10 years or so during a bull market during good economic conditions they're constantly opening new factories because they want to capture these new sales and capture this new production and then there's a slowdown in the economy and they have all these factories that that and all these expenses so it is a mm. difficult industry but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of see the dynamic of that. As I always say, I just like watching how industries move over time because, yeah, we're obviously yeah, we're in the middle studies. of two things at the moment. One is obviously a lot of demand for for vehicles, um, but the other thing is Tesla growing as an automaker. So seeing how those two things mm. change as, as maybe the economy weakens at some point in the future will be interesting. Yeah. So I've got here the current install capacity um, in Fremont for Model S and X is 100,000. Then for 3 yeah. and Y, it's 500,000. Then in Shanghai, it's over 450,000 for 3 and Y. So that's what, um, 600, 789, just like one, let's say 1.1 million ish. Um, which probably works out at, yeah, 369. Yeah. So around about 300,000 per quarter. So yeah. yeah, you're right. We're kind of just waiting on the Berlin and Texas. So interesting. Yeah. All right. 
Cool. Um, but that is not at all the biggest news story <laughs> about Elon Musk for the week. So, Hamish, I will throw it over to you. What the hell is life? What is going on, Hamish Hodder? It's a big week for the man. Wow, I did not see this coming at all. Um, this is this really just took me by surprise. But Elon Musk has revealed, as I'm sure everyone's aware, a 9.2% investment stake in what? Twitter, which is... Uh, Pretty, pretty crazy. Didn't see this coming at all. Um, Boom. Yeah, it's not. I, I, yeah, I just didn't expect Elon to be making such a big investment in another company. But he's also an avid user of Twitter, so it, it, it's very on brand mm. for for him. But uh, a thirteen G SEC filing was submitted this week. Um, so a thirteen G SEC filing is for individual investors, while the thirteen F is for institutional. Uh, for an individual mm. investor uh, who's required, uh, he is required to disclose. Uh, a position within 10 days when he when someone exceeds 5% ownership in the company. So, he right. obviously exceeded 5% ownership in Twitter at some point over the past couple of weeks and had to submit this filing to, to reveal his 9.2% uh, position, which is now making him the biggest individual shareholder, even bigger than the founder, Jack Dorsey's stake, who owns just 2.3%. Um, so yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> he's the biggest individual shareholder of, of Twitter now. Um, and mm. it, it is interesting. We'll deliberately s- so, deliberately so. Deliberately so, I- I- exactly. Yeah. And I mean, the, the stake is currently worth $3.7 billion. So, uh, even though it's a large percentage ownership, Twitter is a much smaller, uh, business than some of the other social media giants that, that we talk about. Um, Meta platforms mm. is significantly larger. A 10% stake in, a, I mean, a 10% stake in, in Google, for example, would be $200 billion. So, yeah. um, significantly smaller business allowing him to, to own, you know, quite a sizable um, chunk of the business. But $3.7 billion is what it's worth. And it actually surged 30% on the announcement. So, <laughs> yeah, that was the insane part, wasn't it? That stock jump was insane. Yeah, that's the that's the Musk effect. That's the value of Musk being uh, mm. being a shareholder in Twitter. Apparently, it's it's thirty percent. That's what I was talking to uh, to Jason about this morning. It's like, man, I, I, just, I just turned over to him and said, "Imagine having so much, having such a following, so much power that literally you cannot fail as an investor." It's like whatever you buy, because you've bought it, it will go up. Yeah. <laughs> I, we'll say like, man, you've actually beat capitalism. You've done it. You have won the stock market. Because it's like we talk about the Buffett effect. Yeah. Warren Buffett is another person that has this kind of effect where people you know, when it's revealed that he owns a particular stock, that stock surges because other people start buying it because they know that Warren Buffett's bought it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Elon Musk clearly has the exact same effect, but o- obviously even stronger. So, this is- It's just mind-blowing that, like, the guy could buy Dogecoin and say he bought it and then Dogecoin would go up. He could do it with Bitcoin. He could do it with Twitter. He could do it with Tesla. He could do it with literally anything. And it just blows my mind. It's like- Yeah. It's a superpower I wish I had. (laughs) Yeah. It it is insane. And it's also kind of a lesson, I think, in- just understanding market efficiency because markets are the stock market is very efficient at at allocating information and what that means for businesses. But something like this, it's there's no way to quantify what impact Musk's 
9% investment yeah, no will way. have. So this 30% increase in the stock is obviously not a perfect representation of the increase in value in Twitter, right? There's no way to know what the actual increase or decrease in the value of Twitter will be because of this investment. So I think it's just a good lesson in um, understanding that markets are very efficient, but they can't possibly be entirely efficient because there's things like this where investors are just, they, they just have an opinion about what this means for for Twitter. Um, and and we'll, yeah. we'll kind of see how that plays out. But Musk has been for a very long time, two things, one, an avid user of Twitter, but also probably its biggest critic. That's um, true. Hey, yeah. And That's kind of funny. Yeah, just as recently as last week, which was obviously in relation to him building this position in Twitter, uh, he polled his followers on Twitter about whether they believed Twitter was doing enough to uphold free speech. And this is probably the biggest uh, gripe that a lot of people have with with Twitter or I guess just the biggest um, dispute um, about how Twitter should be, should be run. Um, and 70% of that people who responded to that poll said no, basically saying Twitter, Twitter does not do enough to, to uphold um, free speech. And Twitter is n- notoriously strict when it comes to, to I guess, managing um, and removing things that they don't want on their platform. All social media platforms have a significant amount of moderation and it has increased over time. Even YouTube, for example, used to be very unmoderated and now it's extremely strict. Um, even if you have a lot of cursing in your content, you might be demonetized. Um, so these platforms have gotten more strict over time, but Twitter is notoriously very, very strict. And it, particularly when it comes to things like COVID misinformation has been a big one that they've been pushing on. And uh, another one is what they deem as hate speech. So people who are bullying other people on the platform um, and that sort of thing. Um, and these are, these are two big uh, questions about how should Twitter manage these things? Um, and what does COVID misinformation mean? Um, they're, they're very difficult questions. Twitter, Twitter's management believes that it's their job, Twitter's job to protect people uh, to protect what people see on the platform. So to stop people from seeing COVID misinformation, stop people being fooled by um, just in- incorrect data about the how the virus transmits or, or the effectiveness of vaccines, for example. Whereas others like Musk want it to be more of, uh, as Musk calls it, a digital town square where people are essentially free to say whatever they want. In a town square in the US, you have... You're protected by freedom of speech, right? You can, yeah, you can yeah. just say what you want. Twitter is a private business, so they have the right to regulate what people say on their platform. Um, they're a private business, like there's those other they social own media. Their platform, it's their yeah. platform. They can do what they want, um, but people still have the, I, I guess, the right to have an opinion about how they think it should be run, given that so many people um, use the platform. So. Yeah, it is a, and this yeah. is always this is always the uh, the two debates. It's like, um, are you just the platform, yeah. or do you have the? And we we won't get into this now, I'm sure, because we've just discussed it at length before. Are you just the platform, or do you have a responsibility to filter 
what is on the platform. And you see Twitter, which is very much leaning towards the, yes, we do want to filter what's on our platform um, algorithmically based on, you know, trying to prevent hate speech and this sort of stuff. And you can see that just generally Facebook, while there's definitely filtering still on Facebook, you can see that, you know, Zuckerberg's approach is is more along the line of we just want to be the platform. Yeah. Use it how you like. It's just a tool that we've created for you. Mm. Yeah. so, but that's that's really the, what the debate comes back to, and uh, yeah. and yeah, it's just uh, and it and it gets so difficult because, I mean, I I can see it as being like Twitter should just be the platform, you know, just let you know, just you guys work on the software to create a communications platform for people to use and say whatever they like. But then you get it starting to be abused and used for terrible things. Like in some cases, like I, I just can't believe some of the instances of like child bullying and harassment yeah. and that sort of stuff that comes through from social media that you almost can't help but say, oh, man, this is so, like humans. Some humans just left to their own devices do some really terrible oh, things yeah. when they've just got the freedom to do so. So then you're like, oh, man, maybe there should be regulation you know, self-regulation on these platforms and stuff. So, it's just like, uh, it's it's just a messy, complicated kind of topic. Yeah. Um, well, how much regulation is too much, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, clearly you're, you're anonymous when you're online compared to when you're talking to someone, debating someone yeah. in person. So, that adds an element for a lot of people of willing to say things that they wouldn't normally say. Yeah, it's which like is, more freedom, which is, weirdly. Which is positive and negative, right? Some people might not feel yeah. comfortable saying an opinion that might be reasonable in front of other people, but that with the protection of, of, of an online identity, they, they can express an opinion that might not be popular, right? That, that is a good thing, but it also can be very, very negative. And mm. I, I think, yeah, I mean, the... I, I truly believe that social media should not be for kids at all. <laughs> I know we, yeah. I know we grew up on it, and it, and it, it, it sounds like the classic. Like we went, like obviously, I had social media probably from thirteen or fourteen years old, maybe even younger, right? So it's yeah. a classic. Now I'm an adult. I, I think kids shouldn't have it, but I really do. I really <laughs> do think that because a lot of the issues around these platforms stems from that perspective that you just presented, which is this idea of bullying. Um, I think a lot of that problem lies with with kids and obviously people bully adults as well. Um, but I think certainly you want to protect kids and I think that's a motivation that a lot of these platforms have knowing that that kids use their platform. But with things like misinformation, that's where it gets really tricky for me because, I mean, even just the COVID landscape, it's not it, it's not a controversial opinion to say that the, what we b- knew for, to be fact about COVID or the vaccine effectiveness or whatever it is, that has changed over time. Um, Jeez, that's controversial. <laughs> how, how dare you? No, but w- w- what we know in terms of whether it's airborne or, or the yeah, effectiveness yeah, yeah. of masks, whatever it is, the informa- the best available information has changed and it's only been a couple it's of years. It's been updated, yeah. So, what do you do? Do you remove people from the platform for going against what we knew to be true at the time but was later found not to be true? That's where it gets difficult for me and I think it's a slippery slope where there's some things that are obviously either true or false. There's some things that are either, you, if you say something- Yeah, the sky's blue. Yeah, the yeah. sky's blue. Like there's some things that you can't dispute. But when it comes to something like like COVID, 
it's an ongoing, we're constantly getting new data about it. Um, so, we don't really, there's, there's a lot of information that we think is true and it's the best available information. So, we have to go off it. But if someone says something different, I don't know if they should have their, I don't think they should be removed from, from the platform. Yeah. But it is a very, very difficult problem. And it's very, very split, especially when it comes to politics, because uh, a lot of politicians use the platform. And uh, I think if you asked a lot of Republicans, they would say that they're more harshly um, treated on the platform, whether or not that's true. Um, and that's kind of where the debate kind of seeps into into this mm. left and right issue where you have these two very divisive sides. Yeah. And I think even just generally talking about it being kind of divisive, even just Elon's going back to Elon, even just his uh, his nine point two percent like stake when he bought it, even that, like just that news was extremely divisive. Like half the people really liked the move, half the people I was seeing online really didn't like it either. They did not like that Elon Musk had just waltzed in, bought a nine or ten ish percent stake in Twitter and now as the largest individual shareholder wields power over how Twitter is, is, uh, is run. Um, did you see kind of, did you see the, the, the two kind of sides, uh, the two reactions? Cause I definitely saw that all over the internet. Yeah. Yeah, d- for sure. And I mean, there was also quite a bit, I mean, there was two particular groups that, that kind of had two different sides. One was uh, employees of Twitter were very, seemingly a lot of them were very, very against, um, or at least the loud right. ones were, were very, very against um, this move. Uh, one executive reached out to his team in a leaked email that and said uh, that their work combating uh, hate speech and trolls was bigger than any one board member, which is a little bit of a snippet because uh, he, Musk is actually joining the board of directors as well. Oh, um, So that's kind of been one reaction from employees. And then Republicans are very, very happy about this, generally speaking. Um, one Republican said, Senator said, uh, Elon Musk made uh, has made clear his he opposes big tech censorship and that's something all freedom-loving Americans can get behind. So, yeah, those that's really the two sides, right? It's, it's should this be a free platform where you can say your opinions and some people are going to say things that, uh, maybe you deem hateful, um, or should we protect what people see on on Twitter? And it's a big debate, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people on both both sides of that. But yeah, he's he's going to be joining the board. So just shortly after the announcement, he was uh, appointed to the board of directors. His term will be until 2024, and during that time, uh, he cannot own more than 14.9 percent of Twitter. So essentially, oh. this. The reason why he's able to join the board, even though the board may not want him there, is because he gets a seat at the table and in return, Twitter's management doesn't have to worry about him taking more control of the company. So, it's kind of a win-win for the board. They say, okay, you get a seat at the table, but you can't own more than 15% of the company. You can't do... You can't team up with other investors or even use your own funds to do a hostile takeover, for example, and start removing people from the board. Um, Right. I see. So, yeah, it's a way to limit his power while offering him a seat at the table, which honestly makes complete sense because he's the largest individual shareholder. It makes perfect sense that he would Mm. get uh, either to sit on the board himself or to appoint someone um, to sit on his behalf. So, Mm. um, And for those that are wondering, you know, is Elon trying to take over Twitter so that he can rule the world kind of thing? I actually don't think... My personal opinion is I really don't think so. I think that he that's all he wants. I think he does... 
He doesn't want to be completely passive, like he wants to have his say, but I don't think he wants to take over Twitter and change it into elonmusk.com, you know? I think he just wants he just wants to have a say. He he just obviously he uses Twitter a lot. He has been critical of Twitter, but I think overall because he see, he he says in the part he said in the past that he sees Twitter like the the town ta- the town square of the internet. So I yeah. think he just wants to have a say in how it should how it should function. Yeah. Um because he obviously has an opinion on 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 allowing people to kind of say their piece. Um I'm sure he also has an opinion on stopping, you know, trolls and hate speech and that sort of stuff online. So I think and overall, I think he'll be a very valuable asset. And it doesn't look like he's he's trying to like oust the CEO or anything like that. In fact, it seems like they want to work collaborate. I don't think Elon Musk actually wants to like run Twitter or anything like that. Mm. I think he just wants to I genuinely think he wants to work collabor- collaboratively with the people of Twitter to help them improve their platform. Yeah. Um yeah. So yeah, that that's that that's kind of what I th- what I think about the whole situation. Yeah, it's just it's a very difficult situation because you have these two sides who want it to be run in two completely different ways, and uh, it, it's difficult to to make everybody happy. <laughs> it's oh, impossible absolutely. to make everybody happy. So um, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to to see what comes of this. Um, they also, uh, I think shortly after this, I think it was either the CEO or Elon ran a poll about whether um, Twitter should have an edit button to, for people to be able to edit tweets. Um, and that was extremely popular. Uh, it looks like they will may very well likely implement something like that, whether it's even just a five-minute period after you've posted a tweet where you can edit the tweet um, in case you make a mistake or something like that. Mm. Um, so that'll be interesting. That's a pretty minor change, I think, on the scale of things that that could be changed. And I'm sure that Musk would be interested in implementing. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to just see how this how this kind of rolls out and 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 what comes of it. I've never really used Twitter at all. I'm not a Twitter person. I don't know. I've never been active on Twitter. I'm passive. I just I just consume on Twitter. I don't post. Yeah. Yeah, I, every time I go on Twitter, it's I, I enjoy looking at Twitter every now and then. But people have some strong opinions on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's and the thing that gets me is just the amount of hot takes. It's like why there's so many bloody hot takes on Twitter. Yeah, there's definitely. I'd love to know the percentage of people who are tweeting while outrageously drunk because there's, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's just a there's an underlying percentage of tweets that you just read and you just think, man, that person is not thinking when they post yeah. that. They posted that at 3 a.m. after like 10 beers or something. <laughs> yeah. And I hate that people like think they're so smart on Twitter when they're just like, um, Russia won't do this or will do that when regarding the Ukraine, a thread. It's like, yeah, I've got something to say. And then you like mm-hmm. click on their profile and it's like, oh, primary school teacher at Oxford something. <laughs> <It's like what? laughs> oh, dear. Uh, oh, dear. There's a, lot, there's a lot of hot take. You really have to think critically on Twitter because everybody's got an opinion over there. So, yeah. Um, but anyway. It's very interesting. Did you, oh, did you see the two poll options on should Twitter from Elon Musk when he said should Twitter have an edit button? Uh, did you see the two poll options? One was yes sir, and the other was on. <laughs> I did I actually didn't see that. <laughs> one was YSE, and the other one was O N. Oh, that's great! <laughs> like a typo. Yeah, yeah, that's it's fantastic. two typos. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, he's got a sense of humor at least. Yeah. I mean, they, I think certainly they should they should have something like that. Even if I, I like the idea of someone posted of having it just for five minutes after. So, you can't edit old tweets and, and completely change yeah. the meaning of it, but you can edit it and keep a history of the edit. And so see the edit check. history. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that makes perfect sense. I don't even know why they don't have that at, at this point. It's... um. Mm. Yeah, very, very interesting. Facebook's got that, doesn't it? Yeah, Facebook has that. You can edit yeah. a Facebook post anytime and it just has the history. I yeah. like the idea of n- preventing it after a period of time so that yeah, you true. can't completely change the meaning of it. That's a good it. idea. Um, mm. That already has- Especially if it gets popular. If yeah. If your post gets super popular. And then you're just like, instead of this critical thinking piece on the war in Ukraine or something, you just change it to like, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Yeah, exactly. And that just gets pumped to millions of people. (laughs) Yeah, someone digs it up. Hang on a second. Hamish, why did you like this white supremacy post from five years ago? Exactly. What? Oh, well, I was actually talking about teddy bears. (laughs) (laughs) What happened? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. No, that's, that's, that's a smart, that's a smart thing to do. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Where should we? Do you want to? I'll run through some Uber news if you want. Uber. What's going on with Uber? Yeah. Still, still making no money. <laughs> yeah, still making no money. Oh, poor Uber. Kind of feel for him. It's just bizarre how little money they make for such like a, such a uh, a huge platform like that's used globally and is like the number one transport app. But anyway, that's that's a that's a topic for another day. Um, Uber to become a super app. Did you oh, see this? No. Yeah. It's a super app. So, and I, it's very interesting. I actually think this is a smart direction from Uber. Uber is driving ahead with its plan to become a travel super app. The San Francisco headquartered firm announced Wednesday that it it is adding trains, buses, planes, and car rentals to its UK app this year. The move is part of a pilot that could be expanded to other countries at a later date if all goes well. Uh, while Uber won't provide these travel services itself, it will allow users to book them through its app following software integrations with platforms that sell tickets. Uh, the tech giant, which may take a cut on each booking, said it plans to announce various partners in the coming months. Uber says the integrations will help to boost app usage among its users in the UK, who also have the choice of using apps like Bolt and FreeNow. The UK is one of Uber's largest markets outside the US. Um, I think this is smart. What do you think about this? I think this is really smart. They're essentially, the way I see it is, you know, I don't know if this is a global thing, but we've got here like what if, you know, um, we've got, you know, Skyscanner for flights and we've got all these different kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, pieces of software or different websites Mm. that kind of grab all of your different hotel options or flight options and present you all the different prices. I think it's just genius for Uber to kind of get in on some of that action. Yeah. Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they do this in, in Canberra, but in Melbourne, they have some of these features that they must have been kind of oh, testing it in small part. Yeah, I just pulled up my app because I was pretty sure I've seen this before. So, they have public transport. So, they kind of give you the public transport option once you put in your the address you're going to. And then they have the, right. the e-bikes. So, like those bikes you can just um, rent or whatever. But they don't have, yep. you know, planes or they don't have car rentals or anything like that. But yeah, it makes perfect sense that you would want... Uh, you would want Uber to become the travel app. So, I'm heading to this destination. What are my options? And, you know, people are going to still choose Uber as a, as a probably a, an option for, for most of their journeys. But just to give people the options, like here's public transport, it'll cost you $4. 
um, and it'll take you this long to get there. It makes perfect sense mm. um, to, to drag in. And then I guess you get all of those people who would be catching public transport. Maybe we'll use the Uber app to track that journey and they might be able to convert some of those those customers um, to yeah. Uber. So, it makes perfect sense to me. I think the critical feature is being able in every single situation that requires a transaction, you have to be able to transact through Uber. Mm. I think if if you if you get ta- if it's just like oh you know um, your next bus is at station five and it's coming in five minutes. By the way, make sure you have a Victoria travel card and make sure it's topped up. <laughs> you know, I <laughs> yeah. think that if they they just need like an app like that wouldn't be of much use. To, to me because I'd be like, oh, sh- you know, I still have to go top up my, my card and get this and that. But if you can do ev- just everything through the app, yeah. then I I really like- th- I think that's where a lot of these big super apps win is the fact that it is absolutely seamless. It's an end-to-end experience through one app across yeah. multiple different options. And that's why. That's that's literally the reason why it's so useful as an app. Yeah. So- yeah. They, they could do a really good job of doing that. I don't know about you, but personally, if I'm going somewhere and I'm not quite sure how I want to get there first, I always use Google Maps because they have quite a good um, yes. version of this where I get public transport and I get it gives me the Uber options, I, I'm pretty sure, in the in Google Maps as well. Mm. Um, so, that's always my go-to. But yeah, it'd be good if Uber could, um, could do something like that uh, yeah. as well. And that's going to be the, the struggle for Uber is that <laughs> yeah. Google Maps is probably <laughs> one good. of their big competitors. <laughs> yeah, it's already pretty good. Cool. <laughs> yeah, we were using it just yesterday to get uh, from the airport to uh, to our um, to our hotel. Yeah, we just used uh, Google Maps to help us get there, and it was super seamless. So yeah, yeah, lots of competition, but uh, logical. I think this is logical. This is a smart thing for Uber to be trying to do because it could lead them to uh, you know very uh, just it's just value adding. It's just value adding. Yeah, you know what I'm excited for? I'm excited for. Uh, like uh, augmented reality sunglasses that just look like sunglasses where you can so see sick. the directions of where you're going from maps like yeah. shown on the footpath or whatever because I'm terrible yeah. at directions. Even I always have to, <laughs> if I'm walking somewhere, I can't just pull up the map and just look at the directions. I have to like put it into like the car mode. So I, yeah. <laughs> so that it directs me and it goes from You're my in the right orientation. Yes, yeah, so yeah, it's the right orientation. I can't just look at a map and go, okay, we're heading up this way, and then that doesn't work for me. So having, <laughs> <laughs> um, so having like an AR glasses, some, something like that, I think would be hugely valuable. Um, I, that would be awesome. I really can't wait for that technology. Even other things, as you're walking along a street, and I know this has nothing to do with the story, but. Um, even like as you're walking along the street, being able to look at a cafe or something and maybe it gives you a little bit of information about it, whether they have- A couple of reviews. Whether whether they maybe you can't see inside or out the back, so you don't know how much space there are. It tells you, okay, we have capacity of this much um, and this many spaces. Like just a little bit of information where I can just glance and look rather than having to pull out my phone mm. and maybe- Or maybe you have to talk to someone, God forbid, have to ask it. Yeah. Pro- no, <laughs> but just having quick information like that. I'm so excited for that. Not related to this story, but- um, no, I, I, I'm with you. I would actually pay good money if we had like AR glasses that could do that. Like you kind of look at a store. Uh, imagine if you just like, 
Because, you know, how painful is it? They don't have the menu on the window, yep. so you have to walk in and then you're like, oh, crap, I feel like I have to sit down now, but really I just <laughs> want to look at the menu. Yeah. You just wear your AR glasses, look at the restaurant and Google or Apple or whatever says, this is their menu. These are the reviews. Mm. What dishes are popular? Most people have the, <laughs> I don't know, butter chicken, which is probably <laughs> accurate. <laughs> um uh, but yeah, same thing. It could be used like what you're saying with maps. You don't know where you're going. Your glasses just say, walk in this direction. It's got an arrow pointing your dots along a footpath. Mm. And then it's like, turn left here, dots along the footpath. It's like, yeah. Oh, that would just be so cool. Yeah. So cool. I hope that's not- the future- I hope that's not too far away. I, I could imagine that being in the next I five years. I don't think it will be. Yeah, I think it'll be, I, yeah, five to ten, I reckon. Yeah. But I don't think it's that far away. I mean, Facebook are working hard. They are working hard on augmented reality. Yeah. Um, I actually just made a video. Did you see my video this morning? Oh, I did. Oh. Yeah, fantastic video, oh, by the way. Oh, my gosh. To, we worked so hard on that video. Props to Brandon and the, and the team there for uh, putting that together. I don't want to float my own boat here, but uh, we worked yeah. so hard on it's that a, video. I'm so happy yeah, with it. Yeah, it's a very interesting topic as well. It's something I've been diving into around, um, around Facebook and- um, issues with their tracking going forward with how Android and, and iOS are changing how uh, Facebook can track you across websites and apps. Very interesting topic. And um, yeah, it's definitely a big issue for, for Facebook and, and other advertising businesses. So yeah, mm. you, you did a great job of breaking that topic down in, in detail and explaining it easily. Oh, thanks, so, man. Yeah, highly recommend you go check it out if you haven't already, but I'm sure everyone has gone and, and watched it already. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, we worked so hard on that video <laughs> and hopefully it shows. I think it does show. It does. I think it's a step up in what we've done previously. Oh, but absolutely. Yeah. Oh, oh, good work, Claude, as well. Props to Claude, my, uh, yeah, my editor. He did a great job. Anyway, um, Uber, super app. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Hope, hope they do it. Um, All right. I got to- What? Yeah, Federal Reserve. It, we got to talk it's, about It's been this. a while since we've spoken about the Federal Reserve. Yeah, it's, <laughs> been, it's been years. Actually, I had- um, I think someone- I think it was the last podcast we did. Someone said- Oh, yeah. Someone said- I was saying how um, talking about bonds was dry- and they said that it's, they said, did I hear dry? I've been hyped up all day because of it. So I'm glad that it's not just me that's into, into bonds and the Federal Reserve. There's one viewer. And if there's one viewer, I get to talk about it. Okay. You can't do anything about it. <laughs> Sorry, everyone else. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but um, uh. there, there, there's not too much this week. Um, there was the minutes from the March meeting was released to so the notes. Um, and there was really two key points that were discussed that were kind of interesting that we hadn't already known. Um, so the first is that the members have agreed that they'll likely uh, in the next, th- uh, so starting in May for three months, uh, they're going to sell $60 billion in treasury bonds and $35 billion in mortgage-backed securities, which is a complete 180 uh, from the yeah. what we've seen <laughs> uh, like last year, for example, up until March. Last year, the Fed was buying 120 billion a month, uh, so that's going to that's been completely stopped. It stopped in in March, and now they're looking to sell about 30 billion a month for the next well from May for three months from May. Um, so big switch around now. Um, they're starting to sell bonds. Yep. What does this mean? Well, last year, whenever the U.S. government needed debt. Uh, so whenever they they needed some more money, they would make a bond, and they would look for a buyer of that bond. And the Fed was buying a lot of bonds, so they would Fed would probably be the buyer, right? So they make a bond, <laughs> sucked them all up. They get some money. <laughs> hey Fed, 
hello, <laughs> have you got some money? We'll come to the rescue. Yeah. So they basically had access to as much debt at very, very low interest rates. This year, not only will the US government still continuing continuing to try and get debt, uh, but they won't be able to get it from the Fed because the Fed's not buying any more debt. But not only that, the Fed is also a seller. So the result yeah. of this is you have not only the US government uh, selling bonds, but the Fed also selling bonds and not buying the government, the US government bonds. So basically that means the cost of debt is going to rise for the US government and not just on US treasury bonds, but also mortgage-backed security. So it's also going to be felt in the in the mortgage market. And we've already seen that mortgage rates in the US are, are starting to climb. They're starting to get- Yeah, we were talking about that last week, weren't we? Yeah, I think what were they getting closer to 5% now? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the situation. This is what Ray Dalio has been talking about for a while um, and this is kind of the turning, the tipping point. Um, what's going to happen? Are we going to start to see the the uh, yields on these bonds actually go up quite significantly because that's really what has to happen if the US needs debt. If they need the money, then they, to entice the buyers. then they have to entice the buyers, which is not the Fed anymore. They have to entice other buyers. Um, so, it'll be interesting to kind of see how that dynamic plays out. That's starting in May. And then uh, the other kind of key point was around interest rates, of course. Um, So the quote from the minutes was, uh, many participants noted that one or more 50 basis points, which is 0.5%, increases uh, in the target range could be appropriate at future meetings, particularly if inflation pressures remain elevated or intensified. So um, Mm. essentially that's saying, uh, we could very well see some some 0.5% increases rather than the, the, the minimum 0.25% that we saw last month. So, yeah. I don't know. Honestly, I think we're going to see quite a few 0.5% rate rises. In, in fact, uh, uh, no, they probably won't do whole percentage point rises, but... Uh, well, I mean, I could be, I could be wrong. It's just, it really is just dependent on how inflation yeah. moves. Yeah. If inflation go if inflation goes down then then that that's great then they will have achieved their goal because that's all they're trying to do they just got to remember the Fed's target rate's 2% for inflation so they want to try and get they want to try and get it back down and I would imagine they're not going to stop um, raising rates until they do get it back down quite close to their their long-term target of 2% so um yeah but yeah I don't know it it could I I just think that while the Fed is still talking about 0.25% rate rises or 0.5% rate rises. I just think that, like, obviously, I'll stand up and say, I don't know, and no one knows what's going to happen, but I think it would be wise to be prepared for the for the possibility that <laughs> rates go up considerably more. And again, I don't think it's the same situation that we've got now, but remember- that all the the quote that I always use is back in the seventies, inflation spiked really hard up to fifteen percent, and rates went to twenty percent almost overnight. Like Paul Volcker. Now that's extreme example, but when we're talking about like inflation spiking, and there was like, oh, we might raise the rate zero point two five percent, then it's just like, well, we know that maybe if they raised it by the rates by like ten percent, then that might do something. But I think it's just worthwhile. You know, something might like that might be possible. But anyway, definitely. Yeah. And so next week we'll get inflation data for March, which is going to be insane because we're going to see yes. the impact of the oil um, supply shock. Oh, so my golly gee. This number, I think, was initially at the start of the month was expected to be around 9%. I haven't looked at expectations recently, but really? we will see. Will that make, yeah. uh, we will see. It could be 
it could be terrifying. This uh, this <laughs> could this could honestly be terrifying because that that was a big jump in oil. Yeah, yeah, it was it was massive. It was uh, yeah. I mean, in some parts of the world, there was there was literally a hundred percent increase in in yeah. the price of uh, wow. in the price of oil. Areas in Europe saw a lot of that where they were heavily reliant on on, on Russian oil. Um, the US less so. So the impact wasn't as as severe. But yeah, it's been it's been an insane increase. So how that translates into the overall inflation number will be will be will be fascinating to see and we're going to see that next week but yeah uh lots this is such an interesting time to follow economics just generally it is yeah i've never i've never never in my life where i've been paying attention to this sort of stuff has this been a more interest i mean it's it's kind of sad in a way it's not the best situation but no. never's there been a more interesting case study to follow than right now yeah yeah, and I mean it's it's always ongoing. Every month we get more inflation data, which is interesting to follow. And every month we also get, or most months we get a Fed meeting where they make a decision about what they're going to do. And for the first time in so long, they're having to take action other than leaving interest rates at zero and continuing to buy bonds. So uh, mm. it'll be it, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating over the next month or so to see how things play out because. Yeah, as I've said, it's just insane to watch inflation continue to rise. Um, it's it, it, everyone, I think, needs a reminder that it was at the end of 2020, I think, where they said, "Yeah, this is gonna where it's gonna peak," <laughs> yeah. and it was at like four percent. And we're now yeah, two no. years later, and we're at uh, whatever it was last month, eight seven point nine percent or eight point two percent. So it's still going yep. up. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Everyone has no been everyone's yeah. been wrong. So yeah. So yeah. it's it's going to be a fascinating. There's no use making predictions. No. It's just it's just a it's just a roller coaster ride and you can't it's like in the roller coaster ride in the dark. That's that's what it yeah. is. We'll, we'll see what happens. Just yeah, and the, and the best thing you can do is just be prepared for all scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. interesting stuff. Yeah. All right. Um, with that said, let's, let's wrap up the news and yes. let's do some Q and A, Hamish Hodder. Yep. So, this is a, um, sorry, what were you? Gonna I was going to say this is a really important question we got um, that we have to uh, we have to address. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so the questions uh, to be answered before your Omaha trip. Um, so we haven't gone yet. So we we nope, we we're on it. We're all right. <laughs> we're all right. Um, what businesses are you excited or interested to visit in person in the US? Uh, and then aside from the obvious Texas Roadhouse meal, of course, and Chipotle. And then hey. uh, in brackets, Chipotle needs to be a Young Investors Podcast YouTube video exclusive. I'd completely <laughs> forgotten about the Chipotle's, I'll be honest. We we need to go to one. We need to go to one. <laughs> yeah. We'll definitely put that on the list because that was... Yeah. We haven't made that joke in a long time. Mm. What happened? God, we fell That's off. True. What are we doing? Yeah. Well, probably just Chipotle hasn't really been that interesting maybe over the last little while. But anyway, to answer <laughs> the question, yeah, I am extremely excited to go to the United States. Mm. And half of that reason is because I will get to see some of these businesses. I think it's going to be awesome. Mm. Um, I am definitely excited being my little Elon Musk fanboy that I am. I am excited to go and see the Gigafactory in Texas when we're in Austin. That is going to be sweet because that factory is enormous. So that'll be really cool to actually see see that factory somewhat up close. Um, I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to go to a McDonald's because we don't have McDonald's in Australia. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Um, uh, no. <laughs> uh, I was I was keen to go and see SpaceX as well, but I think that's just, we're just not going to do it. It's just a little bit too hard to get to Boca Chica. Um, but another one that I'm thinking I'm excited to go and see is potentially either um, Disneyland or Universal Studios. Of course, mm. the, the two kind of big... Uh, theme park franchises. So, of course, uh, what is uh, Universal Studios is Comcast and mm-hmm. Disneyland is obviously Disney. Yeah, it's Comcast, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, Comcast. They have that, yeah, NBC Universal, Universal Assets. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, so I'll be very interested to see that. But I, I, I think that we are both quite excited for texas roadhouse oh yeah yeah i think yeah certainly i'm excited to see some tesla stuff and uh and yeah texas roadhouse is um yeah it's been it's it's been a long time i've all i've ever done with texas roadhouse is read thousands of bloody u.s google reviews um Mm. i've never actually been able to uh (laughs) to eat eat it myself so um, his mouth's been watering yeah you've always (laughs) been the outsider looking in i know i've been looking at menu menus for texas roadhouse for years now um, I'm I'm well prepared. <laughs> I know exactly what I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great! I'm actually excited. Uh, it sounds like it should be a really good experience. I hope it. I hope it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, if the reviews are anything to go by, I mean, their reviews are insane. I've never seen a restaurant chain that consistently hits 4.7 percent out of five on every mm-hmm. single restaurant. If you just pull open pull open Google Google Maps pick a random spot in the US and search for Texas Roadhouse and the restaurants have those ratings. It's insane. Um, wow. I, even if you That's look at cool. any other restaurant chain, even extremely successful ones, uh, you just don't get that kind of consistency in people loving the experience. So, we'll have to see. Um, we'll, we'll have to see, but I'm excited. Chipotle, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely, I'll definitely have to write that down because I did forget about that. Um, Are there any other businesses you, you can think of that you'd like to kind of... Uh you go and see that have kind of popped up in your, I don't know, in your investing kind. Of, I don't know off the top of my head hard, right hard now. to think um, on, on the spot. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. It would be cool if we were going to like Silicon Valley or something. That that would be pretty. Yeah, cool. that's that was my initial but, thought. Uh, of course, if we were heading, you know, into into San Francisco in that area, the Bay Area, then of course yeah. we could have seen. We could have seen Facebook and, and Google's headquarters yeah. there, and so we're, unfortunately, we're just not going that way. No, <laughs> no, we're not. But that's okay, and but, um, I'm sure there's there's lots of stuff where we're going, um, lots of interesting stuff to see. So yeah, yeah, we'll definitely. All right, uh, let me ask you this. Oh, sorry. Or all, all, all I was going to say is we'll definitely have to check out that um, the McDonald's that that Buffett goes to in Omaha. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right. They should do. They should do like the Warren Buffett special or something of that McDonald's. They should. They should. Yeah. They should lean into that. Yeah. Yeah. They should for sure. Anyway. Mm. Um, all right, Hamish. Hi guys. What may happen to the companies that pay medium to high dividends, around three to eight percent, um, but sustainable with a dividend payout ratio from fifty to eighty percent? Uh, what what might happen to these businesses if interest rates go up? How will it affect the share price and the dividend? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, the way to think about interest rate increases, um, and I, I guess more importantly, how that relates to uh, US government bonds um, and other bonds, um, is that higher interest rates essentially means that you can get a better return, a better yield on uh, safer bonds, right? And and ev- yeah. every all of the yields in in cash producing assets are kind of tied together. In that, if the return you can get on a safer bond goes up, uh, you will demand, at least on average, you'll demand uh, a higher return in the stock. 
Um, so the, the easiest way to kind of think about that is if you find a stock and it's offering you an 8% return and then you, you see this risk-free, so there's no risk, you're, you're looking at this business that could fail or that could produce less cash flow at 8% and you've got this US government bond that's at 1%, 2% and it's starting to creep up, you're going to be more incentivized to switch into or, or put some money into that safer investment as the yield becomes more attractive and it, it means you demand a, a higher return. So the, the result of that is if you're demanding a higher return on a stock, uh, you're willing to pay a lower share price. So the yeah. share price would come down. Yeah. That's yeah. The the way I always just the easy way I remember it in my head is what Warren Buffett says. The risk free return or the US Treasury bonds, they are the yardstick for which everything else is measured. Yeah. So you just think what if that yardstick is moving up or, you know and you can get an easier return by going with the safe secure risk free return. That's the yardstick so it means that everything else has to sweeten its deal or more investors will, you know, naturally go to bonds. Yeah. Um pretty yeah, much that's that's just how I think about it. Yeah, and and the only other effect that interest rates has is of course on businesses with debt. So um, this probably doesn't really apply to the specific scenario you described, or maybe it does, but you described a business that's you know paying out a significant amount of their earnings, but not over 80%, for example. Um, businesses with debt, if, if the interest payments on those debts go up, then that's going to be less profit that's available to be distributed. So that's going to obviously disproportionately affect businesses with extremely high levels of debt relative to their income. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and that's pretty much exactly what that next question was as well, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, well, yeah we can just tie this in right now. So, the next question yeah. was, hi, guys. Uh, thank, thank you for the podcast. I enjoy and learn a lot every week. Well, thank you for tuning in. Thank you. Uh, what do you think about increasing interest rate effect on companies which finance mostly with debt or, or are currently in huge debt? For example, business with a net income of $100 million and a debt of $3.5 billion, mm. uh, growing company, but been around for less than 10 years. And um, yeah, uh, maybe you want to take that. But yeah, I, I think um, certainly that's that's something we need to watch out for. And it's a, it's a big part of why we're very conscious of the debts that a comp- company has. And also mm. looking for companies that have been around for more than 10 years because, uh, oh, that's actually greater than 10 years. Sorry, my bad. I read that um, incorrectly. But for biz- certainly right. for businesses that have been around for shorter than 10 years, um, it we don't know how they've operated in different economic conditions. So businesses that have been around for more than a decade, it gives us a little bit more um, comfort, um, a little bit more data we can look at. But still, uh, especially as we go from basically rock bottom interest rates to maybe much higher interest rates than than what we're seeing now, potentially. Uh, you have to be careful of businesses that have large debts. Yep. That's yep, pretty much what I was gonna say. Sorry. I mean it's I, just the, <laughs> I kind of ended no, up. No, no, that. no, it's fine. It's fine. That's fine. Uh, I just think of it just like the way to think about debt is if, if it's variable rate debt, then you're in trouble. If it's fixed rate debt, then you're okay. Uh, however, you always add that uh, the the example that, well, a lot of these companies just kind of roll over their debt. They just kind of keep their debt position the same size. And when the debt comes due, they take on new debt, pay off the old debt and so on. So yeah, if if that interest rate is, is, is rising, then the new debt, even though you may be just covering for an old debt, the new debt will become more expensive yes. and it can snowball. So yeah, you just got to you just got to watch yourself. You just got to be careful. Um, and that's why we like low debt companies because it, you know, if you if the business you're invested in has low debt, it's just so much easier to sleep at night as an investor. So so much easier. Mm. 
Just don't have to stress about it. It's very hard. And I mean, I'm no, that's the other thing. I'm no expert when it comes to like debt and, yeah. you know, th- those kind of markets. So I think if if I'm like toying around with a company with a lot of debt, there's just like a greater possibility from my own standpoint, from my own knowledge that I'm going to get something wrong and, you know, maybe misjudge this business. So I just think as a general rule, I re- it makes sense. I just really like <laughs> to see businesses with not a lot of debt. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. And on that note, yeah. I think we'll wrap it up there for today. Thanks. Yeah. For tuning in, everybody. As always, if you have questions, we got a ton of questions from from last week, so we've, we're still going through them. But if you do have more, um, we're really enjoying um, more, more, more. The, the large amount of questions you guys are um, are leaving. And it looks like because of the video podcast, although we didn't do it this week, that uh, quite a few more people are tuning in on YouTube, which is um, probably helping yes. boost some of those comments as well. So that's all, all been great. And we'll be we'll, we'll be back next week probably with video. We won't make yeah, any. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll see. <laughs> we we should be back with uh, with video. No, we should be. Um, But yeah, leave your questions over at the YouTube version of the podcast if you're interested and want to ask a question. Uh, Thanks, ShareSite, for sponsoring. As always, head over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors and get four months off a yearly subscription. Uh, Thanks, Brandon, for joining me, as always. OG. And we'll be back next week. Have a good weekend, everybody. Uh, Enjoy the Formula One. And uh, see you next week. Let's go, Danny Rick. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll see you guys next week.